Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back to the Leaving Eden podcast. It's been a little bit since we've talked to you, but today we are back from our little summer break that we had. Maybe it was a break for me. Maybe it wasn't a break for Sadie. How are you doing today, Sadie? <laughs> I'm doing fine. Thank you. I'm hanging in there. I'll, um, I'll tell our listeners the wild story at some point, maybe on the next episode of, of what exactly I've been up to during this two weeks. It's been life changes, but it's been positive stuff. And we're happy yeah. for it. Um, today, we are... Com- uh, do we have any more Summer of Satan stuff coming after today? Or is that like... Yeah, we have one more episode for Summer of Satan that will come out after this episode. Uh, I want to talk about banned children's toys and fundamentalism. That's going to be a lot of fun. Um but today is the second part of our two-part series about Alberto Rivera. You can listen to the episode from, I think, like two or, or three weeks ago, however many weeks. I think we took a two-week two break. So it was three weeks ago. We came out with part one of the Alberto Rivera series. Uh, we were planning on making that one episode, but then there was just so much stuff that we like legit couldn't. I love when people make specific claims that I can fact check. It is the best. Thank you, guys. Um, for tuning into last week's bonus episode where I had Liat Fruman on, who is the sexologist that we had on our Fundy Sex Advice episode. She and I, if you didn't listen to the episode from last week, uh, she and I reviewed the Jewish matchmaking TV show that was on Netflix uh, just for funsies, uh, just for a little bonus content while uh, we were taking some 
it's good to to take a little break when you're talking about Satanism. Yeah, and it's good to especially give Sadie a break. I I did I I don't want our listeners to be like concerned that something bad happened to me. Um, it was just more of a comedy of errors. Like you know, I moved into a new place, and then the hot water heater broke less than 24 hours after I moved in. So, like there was that. There was there was just and a hundred other things exactly like that. But. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we're on the on the path to having it handled now. <laughs> I just had my first weekend at the Jersey Shore, and that was a lot. And that was a lot of fun. And I've been more able to work on other. Know, so <laughs> able like, to take time off to so, work on other so projects. Like, I've been having a great time. Sadie has not. <laughs> so I'm like at home suffering with a toddler who who does not understand where all of her favorite toys are, and a cat who's incredibly pissed off at me. And all I get at the end of an 18 hour day of work is an icy shower um and he's sending me god he's sending me all these like nice pictures from the beach i'm like um, yeah. okay anyway we're gonna t- we need to get and, and talk about alberto rivera uh the one the only uh big grifty his, his name is father father griftness um <laughs> i don't know um fake jesuit priest he's not a real jesuit priest um Today, uh, last week, we kind of went through a lot of his life story and like a lot of his claims. Today, we're going to go more deeply into the conspiracy theories that he was putting forward. As always, Alberto Rivera stole most of his material from somewhere else. Sadie and I have actually uh, been able to track some of this down. Sadie especially was able to track down a big piece of this. Um, of the claims that he was making. But Alberto Rivera also made other claims that I researched into. For instance, he blamed the Catholic Church for the Holocaust, as well as other atrocities. So pretty much everything that's ever been bad in the world is something that he's blaming on the Catholic Church. And that's a lot of what we're going to talk about today. But before we get into that, the Leaving Eden podcast is the podcast about my BFF and co-host Sadie Carpenter's life in and escape from the independent fundamental Baptist cult, the cult in which she was raised. We talk about this cult. We talk about this other cults. We talk about religion. We talk about fundamentalism. We talk about the real and present threat that cults and cult ideologies pose to society as a whole. And it is our goal to promote freedom of mind, freedom of thought, and freedom of religion. So if you like our show, if you are a fan of our show, you can do a few things. You can follow us on the social media. You can join our Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash Eden Exodus. But most of all, you can join our Patreon where you will get an extended and uncensored version of most of our episodes. So if you just can't get enough of us, then you can go to patreon.com slash leaving Eden podcast. And, and that's where you'll find that, uh, that bonus content, that sweet, sweet bonus content without further ado, then our, I gave it all to your patrons. Thank you guys so much. Your names are Kathleen Moncrief, Melissa Mosley, and on behalf of his lovely and wonderful deconstruct arena of a wife, Todd Dale. Thank you guys so much. I, I really like the Deconstruct Arena. Well, yeah, because we were saying Deconstruct Arena, which was like the Ned Flandersization of Deconstruction, Deconstructor. But then I realized that because it has a vowel as like the and, yeah. and if I mean, if it was like in Spanish, uh, it would be Ina instead of Eno, you know, so. People have been asking me about like what gendered terms I like to have applied to myself, what gendered terms I don't like to have applied to myself. And I think people know I like I like being called person rather than like woman or lady. 
Um, but I would definitely like to add Deconstruct Arena is fine. Yes. I will I will accept that I like this. <laughs> <laughs> um, our Faith Promise Missions tier patrons, your names are Alex P., Alicia Guild, Ali Allen, Anisha Patel, Ashley Doxtator, Brooke Tully, Krissa, Crystal Patterson, Dear Ethan Hansen, The Musical, Dora J., Enchanted Fairy, Esther M., Hannah Ross, Hope Norum, Horton, Here's a Shane, Janine Collin, Jen Kaharski, Jessica Tambo, Jonna, Justin, Kay Turwee, Kitty Kate, Kristen Marie, Learned Vixen, Lita, Linda Morgan, Lindsay Goss, Lorena Watson, Madeline Antrim, Madeline Cusick, Marlena Stuve, Marcia Millard, Mary Williams, Mary Martin, Megan Arndt, Rob the Methodist, Sarah Reese, Stephanie Johnson, Steve and Amy, Susie, Tara McNamara, The Loch Ness, Tiffany Enderby, and as always, Wes the Cowboy. Thank you guys so much for subscribing to our Faith Promise Missions tier of our Patreon. Thank you guys so, 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 so much. Sadie, that TW, and then let's get into it. Okie dokie. This one's maybe a little bit of a doozy. <laughs> We've been waiting for it. In general, we talk about a lot of potentially triggering topics on this show, including but not limited to suicide and mental health, racism, misogyny, PTSD, and PTSD symptoms, child abuse, mental, physical, and sexual abuse, and spiritual abuse, including guilt, shame, and fear. In most episodes, we will mention at least a few of these topics, but we try to avoid any graphic detail unless that detail is relevant to the story that we're telling and necessary for the story that we're telling, and we do our best to give the audience a heads up if we are going to go into detail on any of these topics or anything else that we know can be triggering. This episode contains mention of self-harm and suicidal ideation. As always, we'll try to be as clinical and respectful as possible when discussing this, and I will also give you a heads up before we get there. This episode will also contain discussion of historical sexual, sexual abuse in the Catholic Church and a large amount of racist or xenophobic, anti-Semitic, and or Islamophobic conspiracy theories. And there's probably some phobias that I left out. Um, uh, but as always, you know, as always, we're coming at this from a viewpoint of we're going to debunk this and we're going to take this apart and see where it comes from. I also want to recognize anytime we talk about the Catholic Church that we have to give recognition to the crimes against humanity committed by the church at large, but especially in residential schools, because that's something that is coming to more awareness right now. Those crimes are not the topic of our discussion for today. So if that's a trigger for you, don't worry, we won't be getting into that in detail, but we do want to recognize it at the top because I don't feel right talking about the church without giving space to those people that the church hurt so badly. This episode is not intended to be, the church has never done any crimes at all. The Catholic church is great and perfect. <laughs> That's not what we're coming, where we're coming from here. What we are saying with this episode is the church has not done these particular crimes because this particular person alleging crimes is a liar. This episode is also not at all meant to be a defense of Catholic theology and doctrine and tradition as like, this is the correct thing, or this is what you should believe. I personally don't practice that sort of thing at all. Like, I don't ever want to tell somebody else 
what's the correct theology. I'll just tell you like what theology I like. We are trying to show how Catholic theology and doctrine has been misrepresented in order for Jack Chick and Alberto Rivera to fearmonger and make money. Okay. Well, thank you for that, Sadie. Um, I think where we, last time where we left off our story was Alberto had fled from Spain. He had done his whole uh, yeah. escape from the iron lung, which was enabled by Jesus. And he made it out of Spain right. with 40 cents in his pocket. And he, where was he going? He was going to London, which is where his sister was. Right. So he was originally going to go to Washington, D.C., but at the last minute, he decided to call his sister, who was in a convent in London, and she said, Alberto, come save me. I'm having a tough time. This is not good. He changed his flight to go to London to save her, and we're going to talk about that dramatic rescue, which mostly comes from the comic Double Cross. Uh, other claims that we're talking about in this episode come from the comics The Godfathers. Uh, there was one other one. Oh, Four Horsemen, as well as the short book, Al Is Alberto For Real?, that was published by Czech Publications. So if you missed part one, I highly suggest you go back and listen to make this make sense. But just to recap for anybody who, uh, like me, has had some details fall out of their head over the last three weeks, Alberto claims that he went to a Jesuit school as a young child and was trained to be an undercover agent for the Catholic Church. He claimed that he infiltrated Protestant churches and turned their members into the government in Spain to get the churches shut down. And then he went to Central America where he destroyed Bible-believing churches by having accomplices have, it, have affairs with pastors or even fake affairs with pastors. He also sowed discord in an evangelical seminary after many years of being an undercover Jesuit agent. Alberto claims that he was stated, he was slated to speak at a huge conference uh, ecumenical conference in Guatemala. But when he got up to speak, instead of giving his pre-planned speech, he instead spilled everything he knew about the Jesuit undercover missions. The Catholic Church then tried to have him committed and then tried to torture him into recanting his story, but he was miraculously freed by Jesus from an iron lung. And the Jesuits mysteriously just let him leave and go to the airport for unknown reasons. He was about to catch a flight to Washington, D.C., he called his sister. His sister said that she was in a bad situation in a convent in London. So he took a flight to London to rescue her. And this is where we're picking up the story. When Alberto arrived at the con the unnamed <laughs> convent in London where his sister was supposedly a nun, he said that the mother superior didn't want to let him in. She said, it's a cloistered convent. Your sister can't see you. According to uh, Alberto's story in Double Cross, the mother superior called the police, but one of the policemen was a, quote, real Bible-believing Christian and let Alberto in to see his sister. According to the comic, she weighed only 60 pounds and was lying in a blood-soaked dress from flagellation. So this is where we get that quick trigger warning for self-harm, and we're also going to talk about fasting a little bit. I'm going to be really stingy with the details on this because I, I don't want to trigger anybody. Okay, so this is where we get a, a quick trigger warning for self-harm and also fasting. I'm not going to give a lot of detail. In Christianity and to lesser extent in Judaism and Islam, among other religions, there is sometimes a connection between self-denial and moral purity. 
Now, many religions practice some form of self-denial. It's much more commonly seen through practices like short-term fasting, fasting for a day or a couple days, um, or abstaining from a certain physical pleasure. Like you might see during Lent, fasting from candy or refraining from watching certain TV shows or swearing off Facebook for a month. This self-denial is also sometimes practice it in ways that, depending on who you are and what your background is, you might classify as self-harm, but are not violent. So I'm talking about things like kneeling on a hard surface to pray. That might cause some temporary pain, but it doesn't, it doesn't damage a person's body. So a person might contextualize that as self-harm or might not, just depending on what their background is, and there's not really a right answer. It's more something you've got to know for yourself. Now, in Christianity, there have been many different groups that practiced much more extreme versions of this concept of self-denial. The idea theologically is that it reminds a person of their sins and allows them to suffer for their sins and cleanse their soul. And that suffering not only cleanses their soul, but it also reminds and encourages them not to commit more sins. Some people might wear something like sackcloth or haircloth under their clothes. Those are very itchy fabrics. So that's not some, that's not something I would call self-harm. It's inflicting a small amount of constant misery on oneself. Some people also practice more severe self-harm or ask to be harmed by others. Most often by, in Christianity, most often by whipping themselves or being whipped by others, which is what Alberto claims Maria was doing in an attempt to cleanse her soul from her sins so that she would be able to skip purgatory and enter heaven as a faithful Catholic. So when Alberto came to rescue his sister, did the one good Bible-believing police officer question or detain anybody who saw this clearly starved and tortured woman? Or were they just like, nothing to see here? No, they just let Alberto carry her out and take her into a car to supposedly take her to the hospital, I guess. So, of course, there would be no police record of any sort of, uh, of this happening other than the word of Alberto. I don't know. I'm surprised that he couldn't find some Joe Schmo to pretend to be a London policeman who could corroborate this story. But So there were the policemen that came, and then there was also supposedly a Plymouth Brethren Church that he was working with in London, and they were the people who were driving him around London. So there were church members, supposedly, sitting in a car outside the convent who presumably would have been his ride to take his sister wherever he took her, which I would hope would be the hospital. But nobody, not only have none of the people who were supposedly in that car come forward, no one from the church has either to corroborate his story. Has there been any evidence from the sister or from anybody else that could confirm or deny the story? Do we know that his sister was even a nun? Well, that's an interesting question. Other sources, such as Cornerstone Magazine, report that Alberto's sister was never a nun at all, and that she was a maid in London of her own accord. In later years, Alberto, so after he reached fame and popularity in the United States, he claimed that she had been gotten by the Catholic Church, and he said that he believed that she was either dead or possibly imprisoned in a convent somewhere, which is really convenient considering that a person who is dead or in prison can't come forward to confirm or deny his story. But applying a little logic here, let's say, for the sake of argument, that Alberto is telling the truth, okay? 
he rescued his sister from the convent and she left the Catholic Church. And then later the Catholics recaptured her and possibly reprogrammed her like they could have brainwashed her into thinking that they were right all along or they could have her in involuntary imprisonment. Like if she didn't want to be there, they could be keeping her like in some kind of convent prison place. Let's say that this is true. If this is true, wouldn't it be more effective for the, the Catholics to have Maria come out looking happy and healthy in her nice little starched nun outfit and say something publicly like, no, my brother is crazy. I'm happy being a nun and I don't know what he's talking about. Yeah. No, you're totally right about that. If the most powerful organization in the world had this woman, Maria, they wanted to prove that this guy was telling a lie. Isn't that what they would do? Just like either reprogram her, brainwash her, or force or coerce her to come out and say she's fine? You know, it's kind of funny as well, because for abuse allegations against a pastor, um, as we've talked about on the show, the fundies have a religious requirement of two or more witnesses is is always what we hear well it's like mm -hmm. oh well if there's one witness then it's just like they're they're striking at this person's uh they're, they're trying to take down his ministry or something but if it's two or more witnesses then that makes it okay but with alberto coming right. up with this totally ludicrous allocate allegation they'll just eat it up like you know it's i mean it's like if, you know you feed a little piece of smoked salmon to a cat as a treat it's just like, mm, right. like, yeah, just give it to me. Give it to me. Give it to me. Like, that's what, that's how I feel like Jack Chick is when he finds out anything about the Catholic church. It's crazy. So yeah, like even if Maria were dead, the church, like if the Catholic church kidnapped this recently ex-nun Maria after Alberto left her somewhere, which he doesn't tell us where he left her or why he didn't just take her with him. The story is so full of holes. But if the Catholic Church had recaptured her and killed her, they could just take reporters to her grave on the grounds of a convent and say, yes, Sister Maria sadly died, and here's where she's buried, and she died a faithful Catholic. You know, they're just if the church had her, the church would let us know in order to disprove his story. I don't know where she is, but the church does not have her. This is This is ludicrous. So I wanted to gauge, however, you know, I have to try to engage with this in good faith because so many people believed Alberto's story and Jack Chick believed Alberto's story to a great extent and it influenced so many people. So I'm trying to, as much as I, you know, want to poke fun at this story and, and show the holes in his story, I want to feel like I'm engaging with it in good faith. So I wanted to gauge if this story is plausible. I did find some allegations out of a convent in Italy in the 1990s, a former nun reported that she and fellow nuns were required to practice self-flagellation as well as eat expired foods. There was a lot of physical abuse at this convent. I've linked the article in my source post. Uh, in this case, information has been turned over to the police and the Vatican also requested all information to do a full investigation. So this is like the um, the Agape boarding school. Right. I think we know when a large institution like the Catholic Church requests everything be turned over the, to them to do a full internal investigation, that does raise alarm bells for those of us who have experienced religious abuse. 
I think the silver lining here is that everything also was turned over to the police, as far as we know, is based on the article that I read. And I think it's a good thing that the church at least acknowledged that something happened. Do with that what you will. I also turned up a scholarly article on flagellation and abuse in convents from the 1930s through the 1960s. And it, it was a thing that happened. A lot of the convents that I was reading about in that article were in Canada. Canada's coming back, by the way. Uh, we have an interesting Canadian story in this episode. So I want to note, out of respect to people who have been victims of religious abuse and people who have been victims of physical abuse in convents, that this is something that did happen and still does happen in rare religious sects. However, so... I don't want to dismiss those victims. However, logic and evidence do not appear to be in Alberto, Alberto's favor on his particular claim. So let's talk more about where some of Alberto's other claims may have come from. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I've been waiting for literally like a month to talk about this. So, I mean, we've speculated on John Todd and Mike Warnke possibly ripping each other off in the past. Um, and there's definitely elements of this story that Alberto almost certainly ripped off from either one or both of these two. The thing is that John Todd and Mike Warnke are both talking about like Illuminati and being like uh, uh, infiltrating like the hippie and the counterculture movement and, and them doing that in the 70s rather and, and like the late 60s rather than Alberto, who's talking specifically about the Catholic Church. Yeah. And I have found a few of his particular claims that are, are, are just straight up plagiarized. <laughs> One claim that he makes a really big deal of is the supposed Jesuit oath. This oath appears in more than one of these comics, and I'd like to read it to you word for word as it is presented in the comic Double Cross on page 11. Go for it. My son, heretofore you have been taught to act the dissembler among the Roman Catholics to be a Roman Catholic and to be a spy even among your own brethren, to believe no man, to trust no man, among the reformers to be a reformer, among the Huguenots to be a Huguenot, among the Calvinists to be a Calvinist, among the Protestants generally to be a Protestant, and obtaining their confidence to seek even to preach from their pulpits and denounce with all the vehemence in your nature our holy religion and the Pope to take sides with the combatants and to act secretly in concert with your brother Jesuit, who might be engaged on the other side, but openly opposed to that with which you may be connected, only that the church must be the gainer in the end, in the conditions fixed in the treaties for peace and that the end justifies the means, and even to descend so low as to become a Jew among the Jews, that you might be enabled to gather together all information for the benefit of your order as a faithful soldier of the Pope. This is Sorry, Coffee. Yeah, I'm, uh, <laughs> apology accepted. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm yeah. quoting. <laughs> no, uh, I promise I'm going somewhere with this. <laughs> but this is like a wild. Oath. So this is the oath that he says the Jesuits have to. Yes. Take. So that is a quote from Alberto from the comic Double Cross, and it comes almost word for word from the oldest Jesuit conspiracy theory. This theory was first put forth in a sermon by George Brown in the year 1551, so just about 10 years after the founding of the Jesuits. It might be worth adding that the anti-Semitism is not in the original sermon by George Brown in 1551. So someone added it between George Brown and Alberto. Maybe it was Alberto, who knows? 
Yeah, but that's not unexpected in the world of conspiracy theories. Sure. And especially not like when you look into the conspiracy theories about Jesuits, like the it started with being you can't trust these guys. They're power hungry. They're loyal to no one except for their own. They're trying to make friends with everyone in power so that they can grab power for themselves. And those are all things that would be old, old anti-Semitic conspiracy theories as well. Yep. So it makes sense that the Jesuits have been associated with the Jews or like being too friendly with the Jews or whatever, because the conspiracy theories about them were similar from the start. These same conspiracy theories haunted the Jesuits literally since their inception. So 11 years after they were formed, this was publicly being stated about them. It kind of never stopped for the Jesuits. <laughs> um, this same concept gets recycled over and over and over again. And actually early popes um, during and after the foundation of the Jesuit order were encouraged to cut the Jesuits off from the Catholic Church and basically delegitimize them or say you're not a legitimate religious order because of how prevalent these conspiracy theories about the Jesuits were. A forged document in the 1600s showed another version of the supposed Jesuit oath. So we, we can um, compare and contrast. And this one um, also has some promises about uh, violence towards women and children. I'm just going to kind of breeze through it, but it is pretty intense. I do further promise and declare that I will, when opportunity presents, make and wage relentless war, secretly and openly against all heretics, Protestants, and Masons, as I am directed to do, to extirpate them from the face of the whole earth, and that I will spare neither age, sex, nor condition, and that will hang, burn, waste, boil, flay, strangle, and bury alive these infamous heretics, rip up the stomachs and wombs of their women and crush their infants' heads against the walls in order to annihilate their execrable race. That when the same cannot be done openly, I will secretly use the poisonous cup, the strangulation cord, the steel of a poniard, or the leaden bullet, regardless of the honor, rank, dignity, or authority of the persons, whatever may be their condition in life, either public or private, as I at any time may be directed to do so, by any agents of the Pope or superior of the Brotherhood of the Holy Father of the Society of Jesus, in, con in confirmation of which I hereby dedicate my life, soul, and all corporal powers. Wow. This oath is quoted almost word for word in Double Cross, but interestingly, the word Masons is left out. <laughs> Do you remember why? Right, because the Catholics are actually the Masons according to Alberto. Right. So he literally quoted this forged oath. Um, it's a 1689 forgery from a book called Foxes and Firebrands. But he conveniently just cut out the word Masons because that doesn't fit his claims in his story. It's so funny because the seeing the Black Pope wearing a Masonic ring was the thing that red-pilled him into realizing that the Jesuits were the bad guys, actually. But he'll still use like the rest of this document, which at the time he was writing this had already been sufficiently proven to be a total forgery and not an actual Jesuit oath. And it's not like back then you could just type something into Google being like, where does this come from? And then you'll see, oh, well, it's like word for word. Or, you know, the, the software that your professor uses to check to see if you plagiarized it from anywhere that didn't exist mm -hmm. then, you know, you run it through the... <laughs> <laughs> right. And and here's the thing, you know, Alberto 
this doesn't prove that he wasn't a Jesuit, and it doesn't prove that the Jesuits don't take some kind of oath. Now, personally, I don't think the Jesuits take an oath to flay Protestants alive. Um, <laughs> my opinion is that they don't. But there could be another Jesuit oath that I wouldn't like, or you wouldn't like, or Alberta wouldn't like. But this this one isn't it. This one is a forgery. And it, I think if Alberto had ever been a real Jesuit, he would have used the real oath. So Alberto's info on Jesuits in particular can be directly traced to these very old conspiracy theories uh, on one side and to evangelical end times paranoia on the other side. But it turns out that a lot of Alberto's information about the Catholic Church actually comes from someplace different. Interesting. Where is this? Well, it's one person, and that is Charles Chiniqui. So Charles Chiniqui and his book, 50 Years in the Church of Rome, are referenced literally throughout these comics and throughout other works by Jack Chick. So I thought I'd look into him, and this was an incredible amount of information, more than I ever thought I would find. This was the thing that made our episode research take so much longer. This because and I read like three train. books. I literally read books and books for this segment because it was so fascinating. It, this was this is really cool. So Charles Chenoweth was a Catholic priest in Canada in the 1830s and 1840s. Later, he immigrated to Illinois while still working as a Catholic priest, and this is Illinois in the 1830s, 1840s. So this is kind of the Wild West at the time. In Illinois, he was sued by a Catholic businessman, and he hired a young Abraham Lincoln to be his lawyer. Chinoquy had beef with the Bishop Anthony O'Regan in Chicago, and he thought that Bishop O'Regan was secretly backing this layman's lawsuit against him. And then he hired Abraham Lincoln to be his lawyer. This beef got so out of hand that O'Regan tried to have Chinoquy assigned somewhere else. Chinoquy claimed that O'Regan threatened to have him excommunicated unless he accepted assignment somewhere else. But he would not accept the assignment. So O'Regan went to the New York Times to announce formally that he had suspended Chinoquy. Not So he didn't straight up excommunicate him. He basically temporarily took away his priestly powers. We talked about the in persona Christi on the last episode. So basically the bishop said, you can't use your Jesus puppet powers right now. And Chinoquay said, yeah, screw that. And he kept on doing his pastoral duties. He kept on blessing marriages, baptizing babies, taking confessions. So that made the bishop bat, mad, and Chinoquy was formally excommunicated. Chinoquy basically said to Bishop O'Regan, you can't fire me, I quit. He left the Catholic Church and converted to Protestantism. He then spent the rest of his life exposing the scandals that he said he had witnessed as a Catholic priest, as well as the secret Vatican plot to take over the United States. So as a general rule, I don't usually buy when people become whistleblowers only after they got screwed. You know what I'm saying? Like when people, when I, people are just like, I witnessed X, Y, Z thing. Like where was your moral objection? 
Oh, yeah. When you were watching all of this stuff take place, you know, it's like when all of like the ex Trump administration people oh, come yeah. out. And, yeah. And they have like books full of bombshells coming out and saying, I witnessed the president trade foreign aid for political favors. Like, yeah, you witnessed it and you didn't do or say anything until after you didn't work there anymore. <laughs> right. Or like yeah. all the people who knew that that Theranos thing didn't work. Yeah, and they're just like, man, it's it's so brave of us to come forward. Let's all applaud each other for for speaking out about this. Like after everything already fell apart, like anybody that would just right. like sit on that kind of information until it became advantageous to them personally to release is somebody that I just can't trust to tell the truth about that information. Not saying it didn't happen, but yeah. It's like, I can excuse a secret plot to take over the country, but I draw the line when I lose my job. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is which is why, you know, on this podcast, we have the utmost respect for people like um, Joy Evans Ryder, who come out about past IFB abuse um, when they there is no way that it benefits them. So... What I find really interesting about Chenequi is that when he writes about the scandals that he claims he witnessed, um, number one, that it's incredibly juicy. <laughs> like, the tea is scalding in these scandals. I'm going to tell you about some of them. Spill it, sis. Also, though, <laughs> these scandals seem kind of legit. And I'm being a little bit flippant about them because they did happen like 150 plus, almost 200 years ago. Um, and it, the way that he wrote it, I've linked his entire book, The Priest, the Woman, and the Confessional, if you'd like to take a look. I don't necessarily buy that every single one of these things happened exactly the way that he told it. But reading it through the lens of like some things like this happened and Chenequi did actually see some things like this happen. And now he's retelling it in a salacious way because he wants his book to sell. Absolutely tracks. Like, I don't think he's just making things up. I think maybe he's editorializing a little bit based on his language, based on the sales that his book did, based on the ways that I researched that he marketed his book, based on the ways that it benefited him to write this book, my gut feeling is, yeah, he is dramatizing this, but not he is making this up. So in the book, The Priest, The Woman, and The Confessional, Chenequi says that the church has a big problem. At the time, like early 1800s, priests were instructed to ask detailed questions during confession, especially of women and girls who came to confession, especially about sexual sins. Mm. The priests tell these women in their congregation that they receive a special grace to allow them to hear the details of these dirty, dirty sins without temptation. But that's not really how it's working out for them. This, how it's actually working out is that women and girls who are pure and innocent come into confession and these prying, probing questions that the priests are asking corrupt them by exposing them to further sins that they didn't even know they were able to do. So a girl comes in and shamefacedly confesses to her priest that she kissed her boyfriend. And the priest is like, mm, tell me more. Did he grab your butt? And not only, like, she's humiliated by that question, she feels so much shame that her that she's now having to talk about butts with her priest, and she's just crushed by the shame. But she's also now exposed to the idea that maybe her boyfriend might want to grab her butt. So Chinaqui's point is, like, it morally harms this young woman 
who has come to confession because she's done something that she perceives to be a sin and she wants to receive God's forgiveness for it. But the confession is not relieving her soul of the burden of what she perceives to be a sin. The confession is corrupting her further, either by placing an undue burden of shame on her or by exposing her mind to the idea of more sins that she didn't, it, that didn't occur to her yet. The other way that Chenequi says this is working out is that maybe a woman who is not pure and innocent is coming into confession. She's confessing to her priest that she's having extramarital sex, either with a partner she's not married to or that she is a married woman having an affair. And the, pre the priest is getting off on dragging all the dirty details out of her. And maybe the priest is young and innocent and the woman is getting off on corrupting the priest by giving him the dirty details. And then that priest has to go to confession, right? Because he got off on these dirty details. And now he's got to go confess to another priest. Oh, I committed a sin. I was taking a confession and I got turned on by the dirty details of that confession. And then the other priest has been trained to coax out these details of the sin that the person has committed. So priest A receives this dirty confession. He goes to confess to priest B. Priest B is obligated by the rules to ask him about all the dirty details of the confession. So priest A gives the dirty details to priest B and then priest B accidentally or on purpose gets off on it. So now priest B has got to go confess to priest C. It's like an unintentional pyramid scheme of priests getting turned on by this one woman's confession. This is like the, the, you know, the Playboy magazine that's left out in the woods behind <laughs> <laughs> but it's this is wild we've always wondered like what they were doing in the 1800s before they had such things and maybe this is it <laughs> clearly this is like maybe some of the maybe like all like 1800s romance novels were all written by like catholic priests uh as like a side probably <laughs> and like okay and like i get this right like i understand because i have been an innocent young person who felt incredible shame over something that the majority of the world would not see as a big deal. I have been like a, a very uh, inexperienced young person who felt crushing shame over this sort of thing. So I, and I have been like, this isn't something I want to talk about a lot, but like I have been in the position of confiding something to a spiritual advisor who then dragged more details out of me than I wanted to give and put me under an undue burden of shame. And I don't know like what my confession or what that information did for that person. Or if that got shared with somebody else. Right, right, exactly. And I have been in almost an identical situation just without the actual con Catholic confession. Uh, as a teenager, I've been in the situation and it was really, really confusing and shameful. So I get where he's coming from. And I have also known young preacher boys who got really just severely mentally by this kind of thing. Like I have seen this happen in the IFB. So when Chenequi says this happened in the Catholic Church, I am very prone to believe him. I mean, this sounds real. This sounds this, very this is This is what I've been saying. This sounds real. So in some cases, Chenequi says that the corruption, the mutual corruption of the confessor and the confessee uh, is not limited to words or feelings. In some cases, he says that the priest is seducing the woman. 
I do kind of want to like kind of feminist sidebar. He is usually blaming the man in this situation, which is kind of cool of him. Not describing her as a temptress and an evil harlot. And a, a... no, rarely. Like he is very clear that in like eighty or ninety percent of these situations, it's the man's fault. And then every once in a while, you will see a woman who came in on purpose to seduce, and he is only blaming the woman when she has done so on purpose. Which is a uh, kind of rad of him, actually. So Chenequi will like lay out. He lays out some of the ways in which priests are seducing young women who come to confession. So this is an additional TW for spiritual abuse um, and sexual abuse. But he says that these priests are telling these women, "The love of the priest is like the love of God. You're not having immoral sex with me. You're accepting a new form of God's love." That's Jack Scop three-way with Jesus. Who does that sound like? It's Jack Scop's exact playbook. This book heavily references the memoirs of Hen Henrietta Caracolio, who was a nun for 20 years and wrote a harrowing book called The Mysteries of the Neapolitan Convents after her escape from a convent. Caracolio's book was, and I'm sorry, I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, uh, her book was extremely popular, but unlike Alberto, there have not been a lot of witnesses to come forward and call her a grifter. Although one biographical writer who seems to really know what she's talking about framed Henrietta as an impulsive young woman who romanticized the convent and may have embellished her story. Caracolio was excommunicated immediately after her book was published, which I think is a major clue that she either got way too much right or way too much wrong. And unfortunately, my first instinct is that she got way too much right. So Caracolio is kind of where this idea of like, you're accepting God's love through this physical relationship. It's not immoral sex. It's, I'm a priest and I'm filled with God's love. So let me put some in you. But uh, Caracolio says that this kind of relationship was far too common, especially between priests who took confessions in convents and the nuns who were confession confessing to them in Italy in, like, again, the early 1800s. Sorry, backing up. I have several sources about Caracolio because I read, like, half of her book, and it is spicy. Um, Do you think it's real or not? Nah? I don't know. I just... I don't know. This is a tough one for me, Gabby, because her writing style makes my BS sensor go off a lot more than Chinookwe. But I also know, like, my BS sensor is not a perfect indication of what's true or not. Now, also, she's Italian, so it'll be translated from Italian. So it's very, it'll seem much more dramatic if you're reading it in English. But also, she got excommunicated, like, immediately after it was published. Which is a point in favor of, like, she got something right. Yeah, and also she's a woman, so... True, true. So I want to... But I have, I have like, <clears throat> multiple sources about her. The interesting thing is that modern secular scholars have not done a lot of calling her a liar, which is really interesting. So I want to give you a specific example from the priest, the woman in the confessional. This is my favorite story that Chenequi told. So there was a young girl who fell in love with a traveling priest while he was traveling to her town he was taking confessions and she went in and made confession to him and then she you know sat in mass that he performed and she got she fell in love 
she didn't mean to, but she she just fell for him, and he wanted to you know give her God's love. So he had her fake her own death and meet him in Quebec. And then he made her pretend to be a boy named Joseph so that she could be his personal servant. Um, what? And it got this. Yeah. So like he couldn't travel with a woman and he couldn't like he didn't want to like leave the priesthood and get married. So he made this young woman cut her hair and pretend to be a young teenage boy so that she could be like his personal servant. And then it wouldn't be suspicious if she like slept in his room or whatever. Like at the priest place where he lived. So it got suspicious. He had her around for like several years and then they people started getting suspicious. Uh, so they shipped her off to this other uh, Catholic home, like home for priests. And she was the personal servant of this other guy who was a bishop and like slept in his room. And then it was getting suspicious. Like, why is this teenage boy never appearing to like, why is this teenage boy never getting facial hair? Uh, why is his voice not deepening? What's going on with Joseph? <laughs> um, so that bishop had, quote unquote, Joseph, aka this unnamed young woman, get married off to a Catholic girl who was, quote, given to an unmentionable abomination. Oh, I know what that means. She was gay. Yeah. So there was like a young like lesbian girl in the parish around Joseph's age, which at this point would have been maybe early 20s. So Joseph, who was like now stuck pretending to be a guy, and there's no there's no reason that I would think that Joseph was a trans man, although Joseph was definitely bisexual. Uh, I'm using the name Joseph because I don't know what her her actual first name is not given. Um, this is wild. Yeah, and like I'm using both pronouns because that's kind of what Chinaque does in the book, and it's hard to tell what this person like would have identified as now. Anyway, I'm not trying to be problematic. I'm just trying to tell this story because it's a really good story. So I don't know, man. Maybe this is like some gender fluid stuff going on here, and Chinaque is like actually so, okay. like so. <laughs> Chinaque is like way accidentally LGBTQ affirming in this story. This lesbian Catholic girl was married off to Joseph and they pretended to be husband and wife for years while Joseph was also still sleeping with the bishop that she had previously lived with and the priest that had originally made her, you know, pretend to be a boy. But she and this Catholic girl lived together as husband and wife for years. Here's a quote from the book, and this is actually kind of beautiful. They lived together as husband and wife in such harmony that nobody could suspect the horrible depravity which was concealed behind that union. They were literally just gay and happy. <laughs> they lived in such harmony. Look, I did not have wholesome Quebecois queer polythruffle with not a thruffle, a quadruple. I don't know what the hell is going on here. With a priest, yeah, polycule with a priest and a secret fake beard on my bingo card for today's <laughs> episode. But I like I I don't know like doing this plot. You never know what to expect. So do you do you now understand why I got completely obsessed with this book for like two days when I should have been doing different research? Dude, yeah, it was like I'd go into the Google Doc. I'm like, okay, what do you want me to research on today? And you'd be like, uh hold on i'm reading this book and then i'd just be like looking and then there would be like two sentences added for like the entire time <laughs> that we hour. were supposed to be doing research i'm like what the hell 
No, this was that's so... why we got beyond. <laughs> that's and, like, why we got... <clears throat> we had to skip a week. Listen, this story makes sense. Yes, I mean, this seems like the type of that they would do. Like, I cannot tell you, like, if this if if this particular story with Joseph in Quebec happened, I don't know. There's no way for me to track that down. Um, outside of spending another entire week of research time in genealogy records. But this could have happened. This is vi- a viable story. So Joseph got caught eventually. I can't remember how he said that she got caught, but the local priest, the bishop that she was also sleeping with, paid her $500, which is about $20,000 adjusted for inflation to move to the United States and never be seen or heard from again. No word, unfortunately, of what happened to her wife, uh, which is the the sad ending. Yeah, This book has a ton of examples, but this is the kind of thing that it's talking about. They should make this into a movie. Well, Jack Chick made it a comic book, but he didn't include any of this fun stuff. Yeah. So there's also a lot more like plain white bread, like priests and young unmarried or married women having consensual but highly forbidden affairs and also priests abusing their power over young married and unmarried women in order to have sex and affairs that are not consensual because of the power imbalance. So Chiniqui highlights both of those scenarios. There is some misogyny because his take, like sometimes he will go from the perspective of these are bad men who are seducing our innocent virgins who don't have enough life experience to say no. And these women are always what would be considered of age in that society at the time. So he's talking about um, women who are like 16, 17, 18, 19, which was considered of age at the time. He's not talking about any kind of child abuse. And many times the women that he's talking about are over 18 and would be considered of age in our 2023 society. He does recognize the power imbalance between a priest who is a confessor and a young woman, which is kind of ahead of his time. Uh, sometimes he portrays women as like dumb and misled, which I don't love, or like Jezebels who did it on purpose, which I don't love. But it's kind of neat that he actually draws some lines between consensual and non-consensual affairs, even though his language is archaic. So um, mixed reviews on Chinookwee's feminism is what I'm trying to say here. The thing that makes him absolutely important to this story is that Chinookwee is the source for many of the larger conspiracy theories about Catholicism. I don't mean conspiracy theories like sometimes priests are abusive and maybe priestly celibacy isn't the best or only option. That's not a conspiracy theory. That's the truth. Um, I mean, conspiracy theories like the idea that the Pope had Abraham Lincoln killed. Wow. Like conspiracy theories. Chenequi came up with that. So whenever you hear somebody like Alberto Rivera say that the Pope had JFK killed or the Jesuits had JFK killed or the Jesuits did Jonestown, this is directly descended from Chiniqui being like, hey, you know that guy who was once my lawyer and then later on he grew up and became president and then I got kicked out of the Catholic Church and then I said, you can't fire me, I quit. And then I wrote several books exposing all the bad things in the Catholic Church, which I also made tons of money for. Well, when that guy who became president got shot, the Pope did it. Like this, th- th- this is, as far as I can tell, he is the originator of that particular theory. And so many of Alberto Rivera's theories are just directly descended from that. It's so clear. 
The idea also that the Vatican was purposely shipping Irish, German, and French immigrants to America in the mid-1800s in order to up the number of Catholics and eventually make a Catholic takeover of the United States pop possible was first popularized by Charles Chenequi. So this is like basically just the great replacement theory, except with the Irish instead of the Mexicans. Yeah. That's loony. And this is a common belief among fundamentalist Protestants. Like I heard this as a kid and expansions on this idea as a kid, like the Catholic church did this thing or that thing is PR. Like the Catholic church did this or that ecumenical thing to make us think that all Catholics are okay and draw people to their false religion away from Jesus. But also like Catholic, the Catholic church purposely made conditions bad in Ireland, Germany, and France so that people from those places would immigrate to America so that there would be more Catholics in America and then they would have to have a bunch of kids because Catholics aren't supposed to use birth control. And then there would eventually the Catholics in the United States would outnumber the Protestants and then the Catholics will be able to take over America. Like this is stuff I heard as a kid. And I can't tell you for sure that Chinook Wei came up with this, but I can tell you he was the first to popularize this idea and to put it into print in a popular book. I mean, the more that I look at history and look at what's going on today, the more I realize that like none of these conspiracy theorists have like any originality. No, and it's especially not Alberto because there is like the uh, this huge chunk of his claims about the Catholic Church come from number one, the oldest Jesuit conspiracy theory there is. Number two, the most popular forged Jesuit conspiracy theory there is. And number three, Charles Chenequi. Like, he didn't make any of this up. He just borrowed it from all these other people. As a final note before we go to offering break here, um, Jack Chick republished Chenequi's book, 50 Years in the Church of Rome, and produced a comic book based on Chenequi's life. The comic book is called The Big Betrayal. And then he used both of those things that he published as backup sources for the Alberto comic. Um... So it's Jack Chick citing himself again. <laughs> you know, the Sadie Triggers Yourself theme song. That's amazing. <laughs> Jack Chick citing himself again <laughs> every time, uh, citing things that his own company published or things that he wrote himself. <laughs> anyway, I suppose Chick didn't republish The Priest, The Woman, and The Confessional because it was too salacious. So let's go to break and then we'll yeah. come back and... I'm going to talk about the Godfather's comic book, which is another one of Alberto's allegation conspiracy theory things. And this is the one I, out of all of the comics, I think this is the, probably the wildest one. So like, this is the Chenequi thing was the thing that just caught my attention. And this was the thing that just fascinated you and caught your attention. Yeah. So I'm really excited to hear you talk about it when we come back from our offering break. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. 
Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, Sadie here. If this is your first time listening to the Leaving Eden podcast, make sure you go back and check out episode 57. It's a primer episode for new listeners. That episode tells my personal story and gives you all the terms and information that you'll need to know going forward. Also, check out our cult true crime series, The First Family of Fundamentalism, so that you can get the whole cult story. If you like our show, you can support us by joining our Patreon, where we have extended and uncensored episodes, as well as other bonus content available. You can also join in the discussion in our Facebook group, that group is called Eden Exodus. Tell a friend, tell a family member, tell your worst enemy. The Leaving Eden podcast is a fully independent podcast, and we really appreciate your support. Now, back to the show. We are back from our break. Uh, we just talked about some wild conspiracy theories and some probably true things that actually happened. But now we're going to, I mean, th- th- this stuff really goes off the rails real quick in these Alberto comics. Yeah. And, and so you remember a few weeks back, like start of the summer of Satan, we talked about Bob Larson's book about rock music. Yes. And one of the things that I said in that episode is this is the book I wanted to do because it's so comprehensive. It It is so many different reasons that the fundies hate rock music. And that's kind of where I come from with this Alberto thing. It's like, it's so comprehensive. It's all of the reasons that the fundies hate Catholicism. And I think that's, it's really neat to see them all in one place. So will you tell us what you read in the, what you read in the comic book, The Godfathers? Okay. So this comic book is very heavily centered around Jewish people, Judaism, and and like what they're and what our like existence and where we are in our political position in the world, what that fulfills. So in this story, Alberto Rivera warns of a rising tide of anti-Semitism within the United States. This comic shows a young Nazi uh, defacing a synagogue with a swastika graffiti and, and Nazi slogans. Jim and Alberto, uh, remember him, Jim, beefy boy for Jesus, who is like uh, yep. in this comic, even though he's not a real person. Jim and Alberto see a news report of this hate crime. So Jim asks Alberto what the Vatican has to do with the Nazi party. And Alberto replies, everything. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the reason why Tim and Jim are in this series is uh, basically his audience surrogates, right? Yeah, and they're working overtime. <laughs> yeah, because like they, he can't just like show the comic. He has to be like he has to explain everything. Just like he 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 really does not hit respect his audience to like make inferences for themselves or have to or read things twice. Anyway, um, Alberto claims that he was told this story by Cardinal Augustine B. And that this is like the Vatican secret plot. The which which secret plot is this? Like the whole secret plot, or is this the part of the secret plot that pertains to Jewish people? This is like the end game secret plot, but also the oh the end game secret like plot. Oh, pertains fun. to Jewish people. Yeah, so it's worth note. So remember in part one where I said basically the Vatican has a secret plot to take over the world, install one world government and one world religion. And in order for them to do that, they have to control the Holy city of Jerusalem. And the only thing standing in between them and the, their, their plot being successful is Protestant Christians uh, and Bible believing Christians in America. That's this. 
Right, which is why the the Protestants go so hard for all things Israel, and 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 then they go off about oh we love the Jewish people and we just love the country of Israel and no you f- don't you just want your rapture in time to come and it's like this has nothing to do with Jewish people or loving Israel or anything else other than you wanting this to to happen for your own gain and that's kind of disgusting like you know have you have your own well thought out opinions about the conflicts in that part of the world have your own well-researched beliefs but don't go telling me you love israel when all you just want is for jesus to come back well you know as they say there is no hate like christian love um <laughs> Alberto. so alberto claims that he was told this whole plot by cardinal augustine b it's worth noting augustine b was a real person he was the con- per- like Huh. He was the confessor of Pope Pius XII. He was the priest that the Pope confessed to. So Cardinal B was well known for promoting like Catholic Jewish outreach. And during Vatican II, he was one of the major drivers of the church revising its stance toward the Jewish community. And he's one of the main reasons why Catholic and Jewish communities today have a much better relationship than they did a generation or two ago. So, Alberto Rivera claims that the Catholic Church maintained a desire for many years to move its headquarters from Rome to Jerusalem because Jerusalem is the holy city, and that is where Christianity started. This is not like a new desire. This has been a desire of theirs for more than a thousand years, for pretty much the entire time that the Roman Catholic Church has existed. Okay, that sounds like a thing that ancient Catholics would have said. That's plausible. Seems plausible, but then when you start like looking into the other stuff that Alberto says regarding this, it seems it gets more and more insane. One of the ways that the Catholics attempted to make this happen was by secretly inventing Islam so that the Muslims would conquer Jerusalem. What? <laughs> yes, this was also basically there. This was also the motivation for the Crusades. That makes more sense. <laughs> yes, Alberto points out rightly so that the Crusaders murdered countless Jews throughout Europe. But um, basically, the the plot was this doesn't make a lot of is that they got Muhammad and fomented some weird idea in his head that he was a prophet, so that he would go do some conquering and take Jerusalem, and then the Catholics like would be playing the long game and take Jerusalem from the Muslims. But this does not make. Okay, I have a couple things to say yeah. about this real quick. Um, number one, it's really interesting that he was able to name Cardinal Augustine B. Yes. That's interesting because there are so many, like he talks about this black mass that he went to where the black pope was presiding over this Jesuit mass that he was invited to and he was told to kiss this guy's hand and oh, he's wearing a Masonic ring. The Catholics and the Masons have been the same thing all along. And now I'm red pilled into believing in something other than Catholicism. But like, he won't name that guy. Yeah. But he will, because like that's fact checkable. He won't name the convent that supposedly abused his sister. He'll tell you everything that supposedly happened, but he won't name the convent. He won't name any of these churches that he shut down. He won't name the seminary. We didn't get the name of the seminary that he said he went to um, until we found um, until we found it in Jack Chick's biography, which was published like 10, 20 years after Alberto's death. Um, but he will name Augustine B because he's known for promoting Catholic Jewish outreach. Yes. Um, and he will claim that he met him, even though he 
may never have done so. So going to his like his claim about the Catholic Church wanted to move to Jerusalem, so they uh, invented Islam and they were playing the long game. If you know anything, if you know one single fact about any medieval pope, none of those dudes were playing no. the long game. They are they're trying to party. Those dudes were trying they were trying to party and not get murdered by the next guy who wanted to be pope. That was like they were not like there were very, very few medieval popes who seemed to have cared about their legacy. A lot of them were from families of power who were created cardinals for political reasons and then were later elected pope for political reasons because their families, aka like the Borgias, were, were families in power in Italy and in Europe. It's not for me to say like, oh, this guy did or this guy didn't, or in some cases, this woman uh, did or didn't believe in the teachings of the Catholic Church, because I don't know these people. They lived a thousand years or more before I was born. It's not for me to try to judge the motivations of those people or what the heck was going on in their heads. But if you look into literally two details of their entire lives, I do not think they were playing the long game by in 4d chess inventing islam so that they could get jerusalem back i that just doesn't work for me wait hold on who who controlled jerusalem when the muslims conquered it was it the byzantines i don't i don't know Gavi. i learned hold on probably the byzantines i learned world history from the becca don't ask me history questions yeah it was it was ruled by it was the roman empire that was in charge of the it was this doesn't make any sense anyway um so Fast forward a thousand years. The Byzantines, aka the best civilization to play in Age of Empires 2, Age of Kings. No, I play. And Age of Empires 3, The Conqueror's Expansion. I play as the um as as the French because they got throwing axemen. Um so throwing axemen are useless. You don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, but they're f- cool. Um <laughs> Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. 
anyway, so fast forward a thousand years, there's a new plot. Eastern Orthodox Church is now a threat to the Catholic Church. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Something. Um, the Vatican sees this as a problem and trains secret agent Karl Marx to come up with communism. And this is, a, if, <laughs> if you thought this was crazy before, like, this is where it just goes off the <laughs> rails. The Vatican, har- as, as we've said, the Vatican harbors a secret desire to take back Jerusalem in the 1800s. The problem is that following centuries of, of anti-Semitism, a- anti-Semitism and persecution of the Jews in Europe, Theodore Herzl has founded the, the Zionist movement, which has called for European Jews to flee persecution in Europe and move back to Jerusalem, um, which was at the time a territory that had been colonized many times by many different people, but was currently a territory known as Ottoman Palestine because it was owned by the Ottoman Empire. In order to deal with this threat and kind of beat them to the punch, this is this is the kicker right here. The Vatican hired some Jews who were loyal to the Pope to pen the Protocols of the Elders of Zion, and then the Vatican released this conspiracy into Europe, where it would take hold and hopefully, like, okay, they they hired who? I don't know. <laughs> to write what? Yeah. And then just like released it into the wild, like a like a um chem- like a bioweapon. Yes. Just hoping that it would be contagious enough. Yeah. So to holy if <laughs> if you're listening to this and you're like that makes no f-ing sense whatsoever, you're right. It doesn't make any sense, but. If you look, but like it maybe makes a little bit more sense than the zero sense that you think it makes. So history time. So in the 1800s, under the Russian Empire, violence against the Jews got so bad that they began emigrating to Western Europe, America, or to Ottoman Palestine. Um, this was mostly in like Eastern Europe through like basically the second half of the 19th century, also in Germany as well. In the 1890s, France was rocked by a political scandal known as the Dreyfus Affair, in which uh, uh, Alfred Dreyfus, who was a Jewish man and he was a captain in the French army, was falsely convicted of being a double agent uh, for the Germans. Dreyfus's uh, conviction led to anti-Semitic violence all over France, and this was witnessed by uh, the the Austro-Hungarian Jewish journalist uh, named Theodore Herzl, who wrote for a newspaper in Vienna. And at the time, France was considered a much safer country for Jews than most of the other countries in Europe due to the fact that it was a liberal democracy because while the country was heavily Catholic in culture, the cycles of like revolution and monarchy and then liberalism had like come and gone over the past century and more so turned France into a more secular state than the rest of Europe. So France was generally seen as a, as a safer place for Jews during this time. Theodor Herzl witnesses violence against Jews in France, which was seen as kind of like a safe haven and this is kind of when the conversation switched from we need to not live under oppressive regimes to we really aren't safe anywhere and we need our own country. So while prior to this, there had been lots of Jewish immigration to Ottoman Palestine, after this, there was really like a concerted effort to pool resources and purchase as much land as possible with the intention of getting enough land purchased that you could turn it into a country. 
naturally not everybody was on board with this and there were a lot of jews who would much rather stay in europe and assimilate with european culture rather than pick up and move somewhere else despite how bad the persecution was also giving money to like the jewish national fund so that they could purchase plots of land in galilee felt a lot like I mean, I assume giving money to your uncle who bought a share of a gold mine in Brazil, like not everybody was on board with this. So would some of the people have been not on board with this enough that they would take a gig with the Vatican to write a fake conspiracy theory in order to derail the process? I don't know. That seems unlikely, but I will say that like we do have within our community, we do have our like capos we do have our people that will sell out their own community for improved status with the oppressive class we do have people who enjoy being the only jewish voice in the room the only jewish voice at the table like for instance i mean the lady that runs libs of tiktok is a jew and she's more than happy to carry a water for white supremacists so it's not saying that these people don't exist but like Okay, that did that did really that exp- explanation did really help. I would want to point out though that in the comic book it's framed as Jews who were loyal to the Pope. That doesn't make any sense. And that's not so like when you look into the reality of if this happened this is who it would have been. It's not Jews who were loyal to the Pope, it's just Jews who didn't like Theodore Herzl and Zionism. Yeah. Which are which is a real thing. <laughs> The reason why I find this conspiracy by Alberto pretty much like completely implausible and impossible is that Sadie, uh, about a year and probably about 14, 15 months ago, Sadie and I did an episode where we read the protocols of the Elders of Zion conspiracy. Um, The episode came out on May 2nd, 2022. And we know from having read that conspiracy that whoever did write the protocols of the Elders of Zion had to have been, number one, a Christian. And number two, a Christian who had a word-for-word literal interpretation of the book of Revelations. Therefore, anybody with standing within the Catholic Church could not have written this book because the theological interpretation that this book is ba- that the the protocols conspiracy theory is based on is completely out of line with what Catholicism teaches and what Catholicism has taught. Right, because you have to have a certain, I mean, if, regardless of whether that person believed it or not, you have to have a deep familiarity with a particular interpretation of the book of Revelation, and that is not the interpretation to which the Catholic Church holds. So the idea that the protocols could even possibly have been written by a Jew is laughable for anybody who has read the protocols and and who understands the references that are being made, because... Whoever wrote this document was almost definitely somebody who was in Russia, but was influenced by American, either Baptist or Seventh-day Adventist or or some sort of fundamentalist eschatology. Yeah, because the it's so funny to me that people read that and miss it because the direct quotes from the book of Revelation and the Christian American Protestant keywords are just all over it yeah i know and when i read it i was like you guys really thought we like we because i didn't get any of that i'm like this is the stupidest thing that i've ever read but then christians read it and they're like 
Oh my God, I get it now. You know, it's like when I read Narnia and I'm like, man, this lion's really a Mary Sue. And people are like, no, the lion's <laughs> Jesus. That's why the story is so good. And I'm like, oh, I didn't get that. Like, <laughs> anyway, if that wasn't crazy enough, um, here the, the, the story goes more nutso. So, meanwhile, France has made an alliance with the Russian Empire. Uh, at this point, France was a Catholic nation mostly and the russian empire was eastern orthodox and the vatican couldn't have that so they got the communists to start the russian revolution in order to prevent france from coming under orthodox influence the kaiser of germany at the time this is i guess the early 1900s was a catholic as well so the pope was able to convince him to expand his territory and cause the first world war and then after the war the vatican who really runs the economy used the same pro Vatican Jews who wrote the protocols as a front to buy up land in Germany and cause inflation so that they would essentially break Germany's economy, generating resentment of the Jews. And then basically, so they combined this bad economy with the protocols of the elders of Zion, which was like both secret Jewish Vatican conspiracy plots. They combined these together and then basically to create like, uh, uh, you know, the, the fire triangle and then the spark for the fire triangle was the Vatican releasing their servant Adolf Hitler into the world. Uh, um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, so then he writes Mein Kampf and then he does the Holocaust and the second world war. Alberto, fun fact, claims that the Holocaust was actually a Catholic Inquisition, just like the Spanish Inquisition. And this comic book contains uh, photographs of, like, actual photographs of Jewish people who were murdered by the Nazis. Like, there's a, a TW. Oh, yes, it does. I had forgotten about that. TW for uh, Holocaust stuff. It has a photo of a bulldozer moving dead bodies. Yeah, it has a photo of literally of a person being machine gunned to death by like a civilian being machine gunned to death by Nazi soldiers. It also has a very vivid illustration of people being machine gunned to death and thrown in the mass grave, um, which is what the Nazis did when they were uh, before they did the death camps, when they were just like expanding through Ukraine and Poland and um, Belarus and Russia. Um, and, and Western Russia is that's what they were doing before they actually had the camp set up was they were just machine gunning people and throwing them into grave. And there's a very vivid illustration of that. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, I am really sorry that I had forgotten about those photos and illustrations when I asked you to read this particular comic for this episode. I'm, I truly apologize. No, it's fine. I've seen I've seen like all this stuff on video. I'm sure you have, but I would have, you know, I would have liked to have given you a heads up. Um, this is childhood trauma that I blocked out because I read these books as like as a little kid. It's it, it is a vivid it is vivid illustration. And there's real photos in here. The like one thing that I will give Fred Carter props for is that he pulled no punches when it came to depicting what this actually looked like, and I don't appreciate the purpose for fomenting conspiracy that this is being used for. But one thing that I will say about Jack chick is that he never engaged in like Holocaust minimization. He just was like, actually it was the Vatican that did it instead of like the Nazis, which is, or that the Nazis were Vatican servants. Anyway, um, it's, it's, it's weird. So then there's this like chart. It has the Nazis, the Orthodox church, the Israeli flag, the KKK, the Masons, 
Protestants who are like taken in by ecumenicalism, the communists and the Roman Catholics all here and explains why they're all secretly servants of the Pope and the Vatican and the uh, uh, Jesuits or whatever. Yeah, like how they've all been tricked by the Catholic Church. Yeah, so let me uh, read a couple of these because these are just so wild. Let's do it. This is a direct quote. From this comic book, The Godfathers, written by Jack Chick, here's a picture. It has a picture of the Nazi swastika. It says, the poor Nazis have been betrayed. This group in the U.S. is nothing more than a Catholic action led by Jesuits. Note, as incredible as it seems, some Jews who converted to Catholicism have actually joined the American Nazi party. I No source for that. Yeah, don't love that. No, don't love that. Um, let me see. There's KKK in here. It says, the poor Ku Klux Klaners have been betrayed, not realizing that they have played into the hands of the Jesuits. And this is one of the minor children of the whore. Is that a Revelations thing? Yeah, that's. Um, I, I feel like we're getting to the point where we're going to have to tackle Revelations this fall. <laughs> the, it's, uh, the whore of Babylon is a character in the book of revelation so she's one of the major characters you've got her you've got the dragon with like a bunch of heads and a bunch of crowns uh you've got the the beast the antichrist the false prophet and these characters interact with each other and the the big thing about revelation interpretation is who is who like remember when when people were like oh obama is the antichrist you trying to pin down like what person or organization might be the Horror of Babylon or the dragon or the beast or the Antichrist, the false prophet, or a bunch of other like minor characters in the book of Revelation. Um, and then you put like the way you make a Revelation conspiracy theory or prophecy is you assign different groups. So Israel, Russia, the United States, the Vatican, uh, those are common groups or, or countries or organizations that might be assigned to one of these characters. Or an individual person might be assigned to one of these characters. And then you play out basically the simulation of how all these characters interact with each other in the book of Revelation. And that's how you make a Revelation prophecy. But like assigning, you take all the clues about who is who and you assign it to different people. But most typically within uh, American fundamentalism in, in, in recent 50 years or so, most commonly we see the Catholic Church assigned to the character the Whore of Babylon. And one thing about her is that she has one of the clues in the book of Revelation is that she has many children. So when he's saying this is one of the children of the whore, that's what he's talking about. Because it, the whoever or whatever this organization is intended to be by the person making a prophecy, whatever organization this whore of Babylon is, has many minor offshoots. So Chick is saying... The KKK and the Masons and the Nazi party are all children of the Catholic Church. That's an insane thing to say. <laughs> this is a very normal thing to say in fundamentalism. On one hand, I, I do feel like you, you didn't watch Rings of Power, but I did feel like um, when I was watching Rings of Power with my mom, you know, it was so fun to like have guesses and like fan theories about like, who do we think sauron actually is in this because they're like you met the character who's going to become sauron who is that which character is it and i do feel like it's a little bit of that but also the fun thing about the the kkk like the kkk was a very specifically anti-catholic organization the kkk really don't 
like the Catholics. Like I remember seeing a poster for the KKK and it like the three K's in the KKK stood for the three groups of people that the KKK wanted to kill, which were, um, TW for uh, racial slurs is, was the, the, and the Catholics all spelled with K's. That's mm-hmm. yep. That sounds about right. Yeah. The, like what, like, what are we doing here? This is, I mean, it, it, like it's just loony. It is. It is really interesting. And I think it's like so indicative of Jack Chick that he lists all these groups of people, of people who have been betrayed like Israel has also been betrayed. They are now making friends with their deadliest enemy, the Vatican, who slaughtered them in the past and will almost completely annihilate them before the Lord returns. And the com- the poor communists have been betrayed. They are simply a branch of the Roman Catholic institution, the bully for the Vatican. Vatican. They are the muscle looking for a utopia on earth, but they'll be as- destroyed by Christ when they attack Israel on orders from the Pope. Basically, if it makes sense for you to be working for the Jesuits and you're working for the Jesuits, if you're evil... And if you're evil and it doesn't make sense for you to be working for the Jesuits, then you're actually being manipulated by the Jesuits. Basically, evil is Jesuits, good is Christians, uh, like regular fundamentalist Christians in America, and there's no one in between. Yeah, it's, but essentially what he's saying is that Catholic outreach to the Jewish community during Vatican II is nothing more than a ploy to allow the Catholic Church to take over Jerusalem and move their headquarters there, and then this will be achieved when the Arab nations, who are Muslim, but uh, remember that Islam is actually a Catholic conspiracy, and who are backed by the communists, uh, who are also a Catholic conspiracy, are, are all going to attack Israel. So the Muslims and the communists are all going to attack Israel, and then they will take it over, but then Jesus will come back and destroy all the bad guys, and then something, 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 revelation, a uh, hundred years of peace in the world will end or something. I don't know. <laughs> We'll get to it. You're gonna you're gonna love that series. I know we'll have some listeners who may need to skip or take it slow because that's a tough topic for a lot of people. But you personally are just gonna love it. It's it's wild. I don't know. It just seems so weird to me that Alberto's conspiracy basically is the protocols of the elders of Zion. Just where you substitute Catholics and Vatican in for Jews. Yeah. But then he's saying this protocols conspiracy is a conspiracy that the Catholics put out there. So, yeah. So basically he's accusing the Catholic church of using Jews to write the protocols and then buy a land in Germany to make Hitler become a thing. And they had like prepped, like Hitler was a Vatican agent. And then the Catholic church turned tail on the Jews and let Hitler kill them all. But now the Jews have forgotten about it and they're being taken in by like new cross uh, religious bridges, like ecumenical bridges between Judaism and the Catholic Church, which is just like, that is just a lot. If the Catholic Church was actually the ones behind the protocols of the elders of Zion, then it would basically just be them giving up, like just freely putting out there what it was they were doing. Like, they're just like, why don't we go and tell everyone what it is that we're doing, except we'll have the Jews leak it. And then they'll, like, what, like this is... Uh, but- because according to Alberto, the protocol, what it, whatever it is in the protocols that it says that the Jews are doing is actually what the Vatican is doing. And the Vatican told the Jews to go and take credit for whatever the Vatican was actually... This is just so f- loopy. 
I don't understand this one bit. Like this is so idiotic and nonsensical, but like the thing that is so consistent about this for me is that I see that there's a pattern between Alberto and John Todd and that this conspiracy, John Todd claimed that he was the one in the Illuminati and the one in the occult doing the say, like he claimed that the Illuminati and the occult was doing the satanic ritual abuse when in fact he was the one doing the satanic ritual abuse. And Alberto here claims that the Catholic Church is the one infiltrating Protestant churches, trying to destroy them from inside, when in fact, he's the one infiltrating Protestant churches and just like grifting money off of them. But they both like the things that they're doing are like bad things that they're trying to do, but they're being like, oh, actually, I was only doing this because I was taking orders from somebody else who is big and evil. It, it's like... I think the, the whole thing depends upon the Catholic Church having some kind of long game, something way bigger than one pope's goals or um, even a few popes in a row sharing the same goals. It's basically accusing the Catholic Church of having some, you know, some pope or some Jesuit leader, black pope 500 years ago, but some pope a thousand years ago sat down and made a plan for exactly how they were going to take over the world. And we're going to... Like vision for Right. Exactly. Which is... <laughs> ah. But they, they had this, some kind of secret document that would get passed from pope to pope. And I think one thing that Jack's chick is really scared of is papal hierarchy. Which makes sense when you think about Baptist theology, because um, if you remember like, the Baptist acronym, uh, the P in Baptist is for priesthood of the believer. And like one huge, huge rift between the Baptist church and the Catholic church is that the Baptists perceive that Catholics, number one, see the Pope as God on earth. Um, which we talked about in the last Alberto episode is not quite correct. Um, they also believe that Catholics believe that Catholics need to go through a priest in order to access God because of the sacrament of confession specifically. And the Baptist thing is like, well, I don't need to go to a priest to confess my sins and get forgiveness from God. I can just go and pray and ask God for forgiveness for my sins. Like that's a huge theological beef between Protestants and Catholics in general. And Baptists take priesthood of the believer so seriously that they have made it a core tenet of the Baptist belief system. So the idea of like apostolic succession and papal like papal succession really, really freaks the Baptists out. And in order for all of John of um Jack Chick's conspiracy theories to work, there has to be a succession between from Pope to Pope where they pass on this thousand year plan, this 500 year plan for how we're going to do it all and take over the world. So I think maybe it's just something that he theologically doesn't like and personally fears. And that's why he's leaning into it so hard. And we do know from our discussions of Jack Chick that his personal fears and anxieties and, and problems tend to find their way into his comics. Yeah. And that's, that's what I see here. I think that's a really salient point, Sadie. Um, that's a very poignant point. I want to move on to just a couple of other wacky things from this comic. Alberto says that Jim Jones was a Jesuit. Yes. Um, 
<laughs> so specifically, Alberto says that the Jesuits did Jonestown on purpose because they knew it would scare the U.S. government and the government would make laws to prevent the quote-unquote real Christians from being able to set up retreats so that when the tribulation comes, the real tr Christians will have no place to hide, which, um, you know, Waco and Ruby Ridge show us absolutely worked. Good job, Jesuits. <laughs> Um, this is totally loony to me. I, I feel like, like uh, the, the, the Vatican is like formulating a secret plan to get rid of Christian summer camp. The Vatican is run by Satan and Satan knows that the events in Revelation are literally true and definitely going to happen. So Satan is making plans now to make sure he can get the most people <laughs> during the events of Revelation so that he can, you know, make one final attempt to take down God. I mean, if he had said that... Jim Jones is a communist and communists are working for the Jesuits. That wouldn't have been like true, but it would have made sense because Jim Jones was like a communist because he, if he had like said Jim Jones preaches a false form of Christianity um, on instruction from the Vatican that, that conflates capitalism and sin. And therefore communism is like a, a, a secret papal construction that would have made sense but in order for him to do that i think he would have had to do a lot more research and actually learn more about jim jones than he actually knew about jim jones like right i no the 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 catholic the vatican just told jim jones to go kill a bunch of people and because it would make laws be passed so that the real christians couldn't hide like right that doesn't make any like because we did the the thing about we did the episode about jim jones and the people's temple that was a really interesting part of it that had like th that was extremely fascinating to to learn about but if he said jim jones did this and and proclaimed himself to be a false prophet and said capitalism was sin in order to keep people from being saved that would have made more sense with this conspiracy theory it still would have been ridiculous but it would have been um consistent i also want to talk about a little discrepancy between the things that jack chick printed in uh, uh, or the things that Jack Chick got from John Todd and the things that Jack Chick got from Alberto Rivera. Um, can I do that real quick? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Alberto Rivera says that the Jesuits were responsible for the Kennedy assassination, as we talked about earlier. John Todd, if you remember our John Todd episode, says that John F. Kennedy is actually still alive and that he visited him on his yacht. So both of those things can't oh. be true. So I don't know what's going on here. To be fair to Chick, I don't think he ever printed the John Todd JFK thing because the I believe we got that from John Todd's speech to the family. But still, it still is a discrepancy. Was that speech to the family? I thought it was the family played a recording of it and said, see this guy saying the same thing. I can't remember. I think members of the family attended a John Todd presentation and made a bootleg tape. If I'm that's my memory. Yes. That's, but it's been, a, it's been a while. I, I think that's right. Um, so um, we, now we're back from our Patreon. We discussed a couple Titanic conspiracy theories and who Sadie <laughs> thinks actually shot JFK. Subscribe to our Patreon. If you want to hear that. <laughs> no, every, every Catholic, um, Apparently, according to Jack Chick as well. And this is another one of those like, hey, we took a anti-Semitic conspiracy theory, but actually just scratched out Jews and wrote Vatican in instead. So, so this mm -hmm. is Again. one of the conspiracy theories that Alberto alleges. He says that every Catholic has two citizenships, one of the country that they are from 
and one of the Vatican. So, I mean, this is like what they say about Jews in Israel or, uh, 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 or that's what they've said for uh, centuries about Jews being not uh, loyal to the country where they live. It was the same thing that they did to um, Alfred Dreyfus uh, in the Dreyfus affair, as we discussed earlier. Um, and it's the same thing where they would call Jews rootless cosmopolitans, where they would basically say that you're not loyal to the country where you live. Uh, but they're basically taking the same exact conspiracy theory, but just like scratching out Jews and writing Catholics in instead, which is a little fun. And this is like, this is something that has been said about Catholics for a while. This, if you look into uh, the Kennedy election, I won't start up again on JFK, I promise. <laughs> but if you look into the Kennedy election, um, people were saying we can't elect a Catholic president because he's going to be loyal to the Pope first and the country second. And uh, Kennedy had to, I believe he had to come out and say that his first loyalty would be to the United States. Sorry, I'm biting my tongue because I have 14 more pieces of trivia I want to give you, but we have to finish this episode. <laughs> but I want to note that the comic books and even some of Chick's tracts on Catholicism very strongly imply that every Catholic receives an actual birth certificate and passport from the Vatican and they have legal citizenship of both countries. So yeah, it's peddling the dual loyalty trope that we have seen applied to both Catholics and Jews, and especially Jews, for like a very long time. But Chick's propaganda is taking this trope to an extreme that isn't usually seen on paper. I would like to note um, if my husband, who was born and baptized Catholic, has a secret Vatican passport and birth certificate that he has not been telling me about, I'm going to be really peeved. I would be pretty mad if he had that and didn't tell me. <laughs> so there was, I want to touch on, there was this dental procedure. So Alberto says there are all these death threats on him through over time. Um, and he, one of them that he gives in great detail is he went to see, like he calls him a supposed Christian dentist who was really into the love gospel. And he said he'd take care of me. And he, you know, messed my, he messed up, he messed up and, uh, I went home from the appointment and I collapsed on the floor and he tried to poison me and kill me and I almost died. Um, just want to note that if anybody's reading these comics along with us, people who actually know about this have said, oh yeah, the dentist made like a human mistake and the fact that you collapsed on the floor does not mean that you almost died. It's pretty normal after the procedure that you had. How come the Vatican can kill JFK and they can't kill Alberto? I know. I can't, that's what I think we asked that in the first episode. Like, like, he's saying that the, the Vatican, the most powerful organization in the world, can't get me. They killed the president. The president was well, surrounded by like like, like like the amount of planning that had to go into killing Kennedy. It's just like John Todd. It, it's no different from John Todd because he would always talk about the Illuminati kept trying to shoot him outside churches, and they had shot at him like X number of times. And they kept missing, like the Illuminati or secretly stormtroopers. Where are they finding their marksmen on Craigslist? Like, Appar apparently, I, I don't even know, man. This doesn't make any sense. I don't know how. How like if the Vatican killed Kennedy and they wanted you dead, they'd killed you by now, man. Like, come on, but so they like they've got you under sedation for this procedure, and they couldn't just like give you too much sedation because that would have taken you out anyway. Um. I want to fact check like one other major thing from these comics. 
There are two people who are cited on the first page of Double Cross, I believe also on the first page of The Godfathers, um, and then on the Chick website and in multiple other Chick sources that have come forward to confirm Alberto's story. So we have to talk about them. The first one is Donna Eubanks, who claimed to be a former nun. And here's her quote. I am now a true Christian by the grace of God after 23 years as a nun of the Sisters of St. Joseph. I can state from personal knowledge that Dr. Rivera is telling the truth about the Roman Catholic system. I could not find anything about this person online. I found an obituary from 2017 that might have been her. It didn't mention her like former nun experience or what denomination she was being buried by or anything like that. The one thing I was able to track down is that the Sisters of St. Joseph is a real religious order, which is active in Minnesota, Kansas, Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, Ohio, and West Virginia. There is one point in Donna Eubanks' favor. So they show a photo of her, a photo purporting to be her as a nun, and it's printed next to her claim. And in this photo, she has a black dress, a white head covering with a black veil over it, and the veil has very distinctive, sharply pointed corners that almost like almost a cat ear shape. It's a distinctive veil shape. And this pointy veil is paired with a very large rounded white collar. And if you've looked into this, you know, like different types of nuns are very distinctive by the habits that they wear. And a lot of times you can identify exactly what year and what uh, religious order a nun belonged to because the collar shapes and the veil shapes and the habit shapes are so distinctive. So I reviewed some historical photos of the Sisters of St. Joseph. And surprisingly enough, I did find some photos where sisters were wearing a very similar, though not completely identical, habit. So... We don't know anything about Donna Eubanks. We don't know if she ever existed. I was not able to find anything at all about her. But the photo that purports to be her, that is printed next to the quote that purports to be from her, is most likely a photo of someone who was uh, who belonged to the Sisters of St. Joseph. So I used this photo to try to do like uh, to to do like a reverse image search. Yeah, I tried that too. <laughs> yeah, the, and the only photo that sh the only place it shows up is Jack Chick's websites, as well as other websites that were quoting Jack Chick. I do find it odd that she's saying the Roman Catholic system and not the Roman Catholic conspiracies. You know what I'm saying? Because like system makes it sound like maybe one or two of the allegations that Alberto had about Catholicism's like priests and nuns having babies in secret that could be true, but system doesn't make it sound like oh this is an evil plot to take over the world. Yeah, the Alberto also refers to it often as the Roman Catholic system instead of the Roman Catholic Church because he doesn't want to legitimize with the term church. Oh my god. So it's it's just interesting that there's nothing else online about her. Like she just basically does not exist otherwise online. Because if this person was really an ex-nun and she wanted to tell the truth about Catholicism, why would she only ever speak to Jack Chick one time to give a two-sentence statement? Like, where's the rest of her story? Why don't? Why didn't Chick write a comic about her story also? Why would she not go on speaking tours like Alberto? Like, I get that. You know, maybe she was afraid of the Catholics coming after her and trying to kill her like they did Alberto. But if you were that afraid of it, maybe you would not speak out at all. I don't 
it doesn't quite logically track for me for her to give one statement, like be brave enough to put her real name and real face on one statement and then never again. According to You Don't Know Jack, Donna Eubanks worked for Jack Chick for like at his company for many years after her alleged escape from Catholicism. She never thought to write a pamphlet. He never thought to do a comic about her. She gave him a two-sentence statement one time, and that was it. And this is, this seems weird to me. Well, she's a woman. So the best she could do was a service position at the Christian Christian Track Printing Company. And saying, I agree with something that a man has already said. The other person on Jack Chick's website who Chick cites as a source confirming Alberto's story is Clark Butterfield, who says that he left the Catholic Church in 1978 because they were not teaching the word of god butterfield chronicled his story in the 1982 book night journey from rome which was published by chick publications mm-hmm. so <laughs> this is uh, i mean this isn't quite chick citing himself but this isn't quite like to the level of the Bible is true because the Bible says that the Bible is true. It's very funny to me that he keeps all of his sources for everything within the Jack Chick cinematic universe. Yeah. What's interesting about both of these people, Donna Eubanks and Clark Butterfield is that neither of them knew Alberto when he was supposedly a priest. Neither of them had any contact or connection with him at that time. And it's absolutely possible that both of these people are somewhat telling the truth. Like both of them were former Catholics who found Protestantism and flipped and just wanted to talk about it and talk about the reasons that Catholicism wasn't for them. Neither one of them is able to offer any actual proof for Alberto's story, even anecdotal proof, nothing. The thing about Christianity is that people jump between denominations all the time. <laughs> um, like it's, it's not something that, that's talked about as much as it happens in my personal opinion. But Gavi, I'm pretty sure you've even mentioned people who were like re- raised reformed Jewish and then later became Orthodox because that was a better fit for them. I mean, but Jewish is different because you're either like Jewish or you're not. Right. And how you practice is like, it, it's, it's not like, Oh, I'm a, denomination isn't like the same sort of thing for us. It's like whether it's what level of observant you are. Right. But in, but in Christianity, people go from Protestant to Catholic or from fundy to Catholic or from Catholic to Protestant or, and I've definitely, definitely seen Catholic to IFB and every other direction all of the time. I have seen people switch from Lutheran to Methodist because the Methodist church was five minutes closer to their house or closer to the better buffet to go to after Sunday church. And I'm not joking. I have quite literally seen people switch denomination for that level of reason. Because if you don't, you know, if you're a Christian and you don't really believe that the denominational differences are very important, which is a large seg- segment of Christians. I mean, that's most Christians, right? Yeah. I, I don't know if I'd say most, but I, 40% does not sound crazy at all. I guess it's most Christians that I know are just yeah. like, I mean, if you're like, so, it's, it's all the same Jesus. Yeah. And I have, I've literally seen people, people go fundy for all kinds of reasons. People leave fundamentalism for all kinds of reasons. And when they leave fundamentalism, they land all kinds of places. Like there are people that I, like most of the people that I went to college with 
are either not in church or in a non-denominational uh, or liberal Southern Baptist church. But I, people that are like good friends of mine that I know personally that I went to Hiles Anderson College with, um, many are atheist, many are Southern Baptist, but I know people who are in nice, kind, compassionate, reformed churches. And I know people who are in reformed churches that I have fewer nice words about. <laughs> um, I mean, we had Pastor Noah on a month ago. And yeah, he, he was raised... Fundy the Lutheran. Yeah, he was raised Fundy. And now he's like a minister in a Lutheran church. Yeah, but I, but I, there are people that I went to college with. I'm like not the only person who became interested in Catholicism. I know two different families of people that I went to Hiles Anderson College with that became Catholic. One person who was, I knew, who was kind of a wild child at, at Hiles Anderson and a good friend of mine back then, and, and is, last I heard, was a Catholic and fairly traditional Catholic, like wearing veils to mass Catholic. Oh man, so like Latin mass, trad cath, that kind of thing? No, not like, not like toxic trad cath at all, but like, but like I enjoy the you know, the trappings and the traditions of the thing. But I know people, like, I know people who have ended up all kinds of places. So it, it's not, like, Donna Donna Eubanks skeeves me out a little bit. And I'm like, did she really exist? Like, who is this person? But Clark Butterfield, he absolutely could have just been a Catholic who didn't like it, got sick of it, became fundy, and wrote a book. It doesn't prove or disprove Alberto's story. It has nothing to do with Alberto's story. And the fact that this is the proof that Jack Chick can drum up is awful. To be, I, I also want to mention that I read some of the reviews of Clark of, of Clark Butterfield's book. Um, and all of the reviews either fell into the category of Clark Butterfield, you're an inspiration to us all. Jack Chick is it was was so amazing to publish your book that kind of thing or people are just like this is this book is like completely made up and complete and if you just like read it for five minutes you'll be able to tell that this is complete it's like that's like the two people who are reviewing the book. maybe we should maybe we should hold our noses and do it oh god if you want to then sure we can do that um do you want to talk about the ifb response to alberto's story falling apart yes in the early 80s, there were several major exposés published about Alberto, similarly to how Mike Warnke and John Todd and who was the other grifter that we talked about? Anyway, all had like these major Christian magazines coming after them like, hey, this guy's story does not line up. Don't listen to him. I have a fun story about Alberto. Do you remember Roland Rasmussen? This is the guy that like John Todd was a member of his church, but then he caught John Todd having a tape recording of him doing satanic when he said he was on the Jesus train. And then he's like, oops. Yeah. Like the rare win for an old school IFB guy guy. I remember this. This is, it feels like a fever dream, but yes, I remember. So, okay. This. According, according to Cornerstone magazine, Rasmussen came after Alberto too. He asked Alberto to do a lie detector test. He, and Alberto was like, yeah, sure. I'll do a lie detector test. And Rasmussen made appointments for Alberto to do the polygraph three different times, and Alberto just no-showed to all three of them. I mean, polygraphs don't actually work, lie detectors don't actually work, but it does say quite a bit that Alberto wouldn't show up to it. Yeah, it absolutely does. But I, I do feel like Roland Rasmussen clearly has a better BS filter than 
So I want to talk about the aftermath of the Cornerstone and Christianity Christianity Today responses or exposés on Alberto Rivera. Um, So as we mentioned last week, Alberto Rivera had a lot of people coming for him and accusing him of being a fraud and a con man. He had churches coming after him uh, for basically being a a frequent scammer, con artist, uh, grifter, that kind of thing. Yeah, he said that he was infiltrating a bunch of Baptist churches and then like getting them shut down by the government. What he was actually doing was infiltrating a bunch of Baptist churches and then scamming them for money. Yes. And then uh, uh, skipping town. There was one where like he said he was going to build a home, which is this kills me. This is so funny. He said he was going to build like a retreat, like a home for ex-priests and nuns so they would have a place to stay when they left the Catholic Church. Um, And he scammed like thousands and thousands of dollars. And then this home never materialized, which is hilarious because it's literally out of my Warren Case playbook. And John Todd also did the same thing. Yeah, it's such a it's such a uh, all of them. All three of them did the same thing. He had some defenders, however, as we were talking about earlier, uh, the we had we had uh, Butterfield and we had um, Eubanks were two main ones. But also on Chick's website, there is uh, an open letter written to Christianity Today for their exposition uh, for their expose on Alberto. And this was a letter written by a Scottish Canadian theologian, uh, James M. Houston, who is the co-founder and a former chairman of Regent College, which is an evangelical uh, religious college in Vancouver, BC. Houston writes a very, very long-winded letter to Christianity Today defending Alberto. This letter is available on Chick's website. You can read it. But I, I want to just read a little quote from it here. So it says, Considering the evidence set forth in your article, though, I find many things stated of which Alberto Rivera may or may not be guilty. I can find no evidence in the article that proves him to be a fraud, unless, of course, misunderstanding the word fraud. You do state that Rome herself has a lot to say about Al- Alberto, who... In a right frame of mind, unless they are totally ignorant of history, would give heed of her words in light of some of the following evidence. And then he states a few anti-Catholic prejudices that he has and quotes some other famous figures who have wrote or said negative things about the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, So it's basically just like Catholics ain't. This is everyone who agrees with me, including noted historian H.G. Wells is the is one of the people he quotes um so this is not to say that hg wells was not a historian because he was but he was this among other things i find it extremely odd that a christian fundamentalist would quote him of all people to back up their claims about catholicism because most notably hg wells was very he, he was pretty leftist wasn't he was a socialist right hg like yes he was a historian in some but it was also like he was also like a cultural critic like it's it's it would be like quoting Mark Twain in one of in, in one of the it, it, it's uh, um, Houston also has a famous quotes in uh, a famous work by Wells, which is called uh, a crux and sada, I believe is is I'm producing I'm pronouncing that right. But he does not quote the part where H.G. Wells like facetiously calls for the bombing of Rome. Is, I mean, it's just, well, just like Alberto left the Mason thing out of the fake Jesuit oath. Houston also alleges that the charismatic movement it was invented by Satan to draw people away from God, and he says that Chiniki, uh, Chiniqui was 
said the same thing as Alberto Rivera, so it must be true, and that the Vatican is making uh, republications of Chiniqui heart less popular than they used to be. Um, and that's proof that Alberto is right. Dear Cornerstone and Christianity Today, you discovered evidence that proves that Alberto was not where he said he was when he said he was, that he had a wife and two children who mysteriously disappeared, that he has fraud alerts out for him in a bunch of different states, but you can't prove that he wasn't a Jesuit. And here's my proof. Here's every bad thing anybody has ever said about the Catholic Church. Yes. Alberto agrees with Chenequi, so they're obviously both true, not one plagiarized from the other. And this letter, he's basically said, he basically says, when I was younger, you used to be able to buy Chiniqui's book wherever you wanted. Now you can't get it anymore. Why is that? Ever think about that? Catholic conspiracy. Like, Is it because it's a hundred year old book? <laughs> like that's, that's legit what he's saying in this letter. He's like, why can't I get Chiniqui's book in a bookstore anymore? Huh? How come? Catholic conspiracy. Like, like, what are we doing? He shouldn't have just waited like 40 more years because I found it on the internet in two yeah. minutes. It's, I mean, it's it's not exactly hard to come by. I mean, it's, it's public domain now. <laughs> Alberto Rivera died of cancer in, when was it, 1997? He died, yeah, he died in 1997 of cancer. Yeah, and he says that he was poisoned by the Jesuits. With a substance right. that causes the appearance of cancer. Right. So before he died, he said, I'm actually not dying of cancer. I'm dying because the Jesuits poisoned me with a substance that makes it look like I have cancer, but I don't actually have cancer. I'm actually being poisoned. And that myth has been perpetuated by everybody who works at Czech Publications to this day. I do think it's a bit funny that he stuck with the story until the end. But I guess, like, if you're dying, then there's, like, no motivation for you to come clean about it. Well, his, Alberto's widow carried on his mission after his death. Um, and I, I just wasn't able to find anything about, like, what she's doing now or if she's still alive or when she, I wasn't able to find anything about that. But I, it seemed like at the time he died, she had plans to carry on his, whatever it was he was doing at the time. <laughs> Maybe he said that for her benefit. It's a bit odd because Alberto says that he left the Catholic Church in 65, 66, something like that. And he dies 30 years later. I do think that it's a bit odd that he's like, yes, I, who left the Catholic Church 30 years ago, have deep, detailed knowledge about the inner workings of the Vatican's secret bioweapons department. I mean, obviously, he knew everything as like... As, as a middle management priest, he knew everything there was to know about the Catholic Church to begin with. So, of course, he knew something about their bioweapons department 30 years ago, which means it hasn't changed at all, and he still knows everything about it. I mean, their, their plan, they've, this is the same Vatican that had uh, like a 1,000-year plan to take over Jerusalem and never did it. Um, so, Right. They, they like to play the long game. Geological timeline. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of where we end with this, right? I mean, like, I yeah. do, do you have any final thoughts or do you want me to? Yeah. 
I have final thoughts because I, I think maybe one question is what does this have to do with Satan and why is this in our summer of Satan? Because you may have noticed if you're listening that in two parts of this episode, several hours of content, we have not mentioned Satan that much. One reason that this is Satan related is because of all the book of Revelation stuff, but that is kind of obscure. That's not something that a casual reader would pick up on the way that somebody who was raised in fundamental fundamentalism like I would, like I was, would pick up on. I think it's really interesting that it's not enough for the satanic panic to make anything that's remotely Satan-associated scary. Like, Bob Larson makes rock music scary, makes Alice Cooper scary, makes Kiss scary, and... Mike Warnke is making California and hair dye and fingernails scary. And John Todd is making all these claims about the Illuminati and he's making that scary. But that's not enough for Jack Chick. He feels like he needs to make Christians scared of other Christians. The satanic panic in the outside, like non-IFB world, was so focused on things that are somehow witchy, creepy, or satanic. Ouija boards and different types of music and different types of clothing and satanic supposed symbols. But Jack Chick, because of his end-time views, he has to take this even further. And even other Christians who don't think the same way as you have to be just as scary to an IFB person as a pentagram or a Ouija board or a song on the PMRC's hit list. I think it's interesting because this leads me to imagine a world where the IFB and the Catholic Church could have had some kind of communion, and it makes me wonder, would that have been a better world or a worse world? We know that the faults and flaws in the Catholic Church and the IFB have so many similar through lines. There are so many of the horrendous mistakes and sins committed by the IFB institution and by the Catholic institution are similar or even the same in some cases. If the IFB and the Catholic Church had had some kind of ecumenical crossover at this time in the 70s, in the 80s, in the 90s, would that have made a better world or a worse one? Because I'm I'm so optimistic and I, I'm wondering, would, would there have ever been a world where they could have borrowed good from each other? Or would it have morphed into something even worse? That's So that's one question that came up because this all happened because of end times theology that makes Christians who believe in it have to be scared of everything. And when they couldn't find a way to be scared of other Christians, they made up a way to be scared of other Christians even. It, it has had such long lasting repercussions and like what would have happened if that had been a different world? No, the, the real Christians, you know, the IFB and the similar people, groups like that, they have this need to believe that they are the only ones who have it right because that's the only way their whole theology works. And it is really interesting the lengths to which they will go to associate other types of Christians with the literal devil to uphold their own need to be right and to be the only true Christians. There's a, there's a lot to think about there. It just, just think about the, the, the massive catalog of claims and theories that we have covered in these Alberto comic books. All of that sprung from the IFB need to be right. 
That's really that's really uh, salient. The thing that I that I thought the most about this is that so it, over the course of doing this show, we have talked to I mean, I mean I've talked to you and we've talked to so many people who had deconstructed uh, deconstruction journeys who were raised in a harmful environment or an environment that was worsening the the world around them or, or doing something like that um and who were raised in like a, a repressive religious environment when they took the decision into their own hands to leave that and make something else out of their life that was a very long process that took years and years and years and years and years and years and years, and years for them to deconstruct when we look at what alberto rivera says and what john todd and mike warnke said for them, it was very much just like, and then I realized this thing was bad and I uh, flipped a switch and it went from good to, uh, and I went from being an evil guy to being a good guy. It, like, it reminds me very much of, um, do you remember Christine Week, the, mos- the monster energy lady? Yeah. When she left the church that she was raised in, she never deconstructed. She just decided, oh, I guess I'm going to be evil now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do sins. And when people get saved and come to Jesus. They just decide Jesus takes away my sins. I'm good now. And you have to trust me. Like it's the flip side of the thing that they do to protect abusers from justice. The the same concept that they use to protect abusers leaves the church open to scammers and grifters. And those scammers and grifters know that divisiveness and fear are the tactics by which they can scam and grift the most. That was very well put. It's it's really it's really something, and it, you really like. We've done this as the third big like. We did Rivera, we did Todd, we did Warnke, and it's it's really something how similar they all are. And I guess it does it does teach us something because even outside of religion, but especially within religion, I think if we see someone who is trying to influence us through fear, that doesn't mean they're always wrong it doesn't mean it's always a scam but i think it's something that always warrants a little bit of extra investigation because we see that us versus them thinking the insider versus outsider thinking popping up and i think anytime anyone is trying to influence you to do anything through fear it's worth a second look and i think that's a good note to wrap on um unless there's anything else you want to say yeah, especially if somebody tells you that something or someone is satanic, just just like <laughs> if somebody's satanic, they'll tell you they're satanic. Yeah, in my experience. Yeah, that is it. That, yeah, mm-hmm. Yep, we can we can wrap yeah. up. It just it really it really makes those brain wheels turn. Yeah, thank you guys so much for tuning into this episode. Um, next week, I think it's our last summer of Satan episode, which is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, what are we talking about next? We're talking about toys that are, are like like banned fundy children's toys like like is are we talking about cabbage patch dolls yeah definitely going to talk about cabbage patch dolls um pokemon uh playing cards w- there's a lot there's a lot barbie? to get into hmm? was barbie banned i was not allowed to have barbie oh, okay well i just saw the barbie movie and i thought it was great anyway um so tune in for that one and then after that i think it's going to be our three-year anniversary episode coming right after oh my that gosh. one. i can't believe it's been three years i'm so excited we'll figure out what we're going to do for that but it's going to be a lot of fun if you like our show if you're a fan of our show listen to the very very extended version of today's episode that's going to go on our patreon <laughs> in which 
Sadie talks about her theories about the Kennedy assassination, and I talk about Titanic conspiracy theories as well as other things. Um, we we just have some fun uh, uh, talking about uh, conspiracy theories a little bit. Uh, it's a good time. Uh, make sure you check that out on patreon.com slash leaving Eden podcast. You can uh, join our Facebook group and our subreddit. Both of those are called Eden Exodus. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram and threads. It is at leaving Eden podcast. Sadie, your social media. Yeah. You can follow me on Instagram at Sadie Carpenter music on Twitter until the wheels fall off at hell. Yeah. Sadie and on TikTok at Sadie Carpenter one. And I am no longer on Twitter. I am still on Twitter because I missed the fall of MySpace and I f- have FOMO about it. Because um, <laughs> listen, listen, you got to experience this. I did not, and it's not fair. So now I want to. S- I did not. I never had oh, MySpace. Okay. Well, now I want everybody else in my generation did, and now I want to witness the heat death of a social media. I respect it. But you can follow me on Facebook and Instagram and threads at G-A-V-R-I-E-L-H-A-C-O-H-E-N. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. You guys have a great day. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.